Hello, and welcome to the Up Next podcast, where we highlight the people and ideas that represent the best of Christian leadership today. It is during challenging times that we realize how important leadership is. That is why Research Global is dedicated to training and mentoring the next generation of Christian leaders in major global cities around the world, so they can be prepared to tackle the challenges that are to come. These young professionals will become the future business and civic leaders church elders, entrepreneurs, and change makers in the communities. And we are so encouraged when we hear their dreams and plans for the future for their hometowns of LA, Austin, Chicago, Jakarta, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, Nairobi, and beyond. We connect these young leaders to one another also, so they form a truly global team of growing marketplace leaders advancing the gospel. As part of the year-long cohort training, we bring some of the best thinkers and mentors to come alongside these leaders. And as a result, we are thrilled to share the wisdom of these teachers with you on this show, highlighting the real stories of what it looks like to lead with your faith. Our host is Tommy Lee, president of Research Global, who will be joined by a myriad of guest hosts and co-hosts during this time. For more information on Research Global and to listen to past episodes of Up Next, please go to www.researchglobal.org. My name is Lindsay Fleming, and I'll be the host of today's podcast with uh, Dr. Paul White. Thank you so much for joining us, and thanks to Tommy for introducing you and your introduction. Um, Obviously, you are pretty busy between your practice, author, speaker, consultant, all dedicated to making work relationships work. And I, if I could tell you anything, I wish I would have had these resources sooner. So I'm excited to hear firsthand from you uh, today about your newest book, Making Things Right at Work. Um, and so thank you so much for joining us today. Sure, my pleasure. I'm glad to be with you. Well, I wanted to kick things off um, and really talk about the past two years work as we have kind of always known it has really changed. And perhaps, um, you know, at one point we thought maybe permanently, now we see people trickling back into the office, but it's it's slightly different than what we've seen in the past. So right. how are these changes impacting work workplace relationships? Well, they're making them more difficult, obviously. And I would say I, I sort of feel badly for my uh, friends and people out there that really like structure and, and predictability because that's not the way life is now and probably won't be for a while. Um, and so really change and things moving around are just part of the deal now. And the challenge is, I mean, you know, uh, communication between people is tough enough. Right. Um, and then when you throw in all of this change and uh, instability, as well as working you know remotely or from home or a hybrid and people's roles and places changing it it just adds a lot of additional confusion uh, that makes it even more difficult so what are some of the examples um of the most common conflicts i would say maybe you could speak to what it has been historically and then what do you see now in kind of this new this new environment that we're in that people are experiencing in the workplace? What would you say the main ones are if you had to dial them down? Yeah, and first, let me just sort of reframe part of this. We talk about conflict, but a lot of people don't really identify with conflict because they think about, you know, really intense kinds of things. So I would I would include 
tension in relationships and friction as well, because those are a little bit dialed down, same versions. But having said that, I think uh, the, the main sources have been and will continue to be some very basic things. And one is miscommunication, right? I mean, it, it's as simple as you had a meeting yesterday and you come in today and you ask your colleague, hey, did you call Mr. Smith? And they say, no, I thought you were going to call him. You said, no, you said you were going to, you know, and just that sort of simple missing each other uh, is really a foundational part that just happens over and over again. And so if we can work both as people, as employees, as leaders to communicate clearly. And when we say that, we usually think about us communicating to others clearly, mm -hmm. but it's really more sort of the, what we talk about in counseling, uh, active listening of making sure we're hearing the other person accurately by reflecting back to them, say, okay, so you're going to do this and I'm going to do this and we're going to check back, you know, on Friday. And that can, you know, avoid so many sort of miscues and resulting tension. It's just huge. And, uh, you know, with Zoom kinds of meetings and, you know, lots of emails, people tend to rush more, it seems like, and leave things out and maybe not even sort of double check what they've sent. And so there's just uh, more opportunity that way. So miscommunication, I would say, is the first major one. Uh, a second one, really, and this has to do with the globalization of work and life, is that we have different perspectives on things. And so the, the conflict or tension is that we view a situation differently or we interpret what happened differently. It could be that maybe your team pulled together an event, maybe an online event, uh, a webinar or whatever, and today you're reviewing it as a team and one person just thought it was great. It went wonderfully, you know, it was just on spot. And then another person says, you know, they're really embarrassed about it. And they just are down about it and say, well, we got to fix this. And they both could be right. I mean, that's one of the things about this whole issue is it's not necessarily a right or wrong. It's that you have different perspectives. And so when we have different cultures involved as, as we do more and more, as well as people from different backgrounds and settings, uh, that whole perspective uh, and, and viewpoint issue is really huge. So th those are two big ones. And I guess the third one that sort of sneaks in there is miss uh, or attributing malintent uh, when it's maybe not there. Uh, so like this example about, you know, reevaluating a webinar and somebody says, you know, it just wasn't good. If you're the team member that was in charge of it, you could think, you know, they're trying to throw me under the bus here and make me look bad. When in actuality, they just want to figure out how to make it look better. But lots of times we don't like, you know, critiques or suggestions and and we can attribute, you know, malintent when it maybe isn't there. That's a perfect example. I mean, I can remember firsthand exactly that situation. It was a team webinar and my boss gave feedback, you know, that it, for the team that had just missed the mark. And really it came down to a timing issue. He wanted a very specific time. The content was good and just needed. So it kind of goes back to the miscommunication. And then other people on the team thought it was really great because it went into depth and it really answered the questions the customer was looking for. But I can see firsthand in my experience how those things really do pop up. And it, and it led to kind of, like you said, that angst or that tension in the next meeting. So- Yeah, it, and I would say, uh, it, 
in that is the whole issue of expectations, right? I mean, that's where the different perspectives come to play um, and maybe even intent. And so, you know, when you've met expectations, people tend to feel positively when you don't, uh, you know, they don't. And so clarifying expectations uh, is huge. And, and most of the time, I would say we don't do a good job of that, of saying, you know, this is what it would look like if it, if it goes well. Expectations come up in so many areas of our lives, not just yeah. the workplace. So great way to pull that into the conversation. One thing that I learned when reading the book um, was what you call the five languages of appreciation, the five languages of appreciation and the role that they play in the workplace. Could you, for the listener, kind of give a high level of, of those sure. five? Yeah, so uh, I've had the privilege of working with Dr. Gary Chapman, who wrote the five love languages that a lot of people are familiar with. And we applied that concept or those concepts to work-based relationships. And uh, so that we translated, if you will, into the five languages of appreciation. And they're the same in name. So words of affirmation, quality time, tangible gifts, uh, acts of service, and even physical touch. Uh, but they look differently in the workplace. And uh, one of the things that we found as we've worked with teams across the world, actually, is that just knowing a person's language isn't sufficient in the workplace. In, the, in personal relationships, if you know their love language, you can sort of figure out what the actions look like. But it's really important to find out the specific actions within that language. And so we developed an online assessment. It's called the Motivating by Appreciation Inventory. It's been taken by 300,000 people worldwide. It's in, I think, seven languages, uh, Spanish, French, Chinese, um, Danish, um, Hungarian. And, um, and what we do is we want to identify really what hits the target for them. So, for example, quality time um, for older employees or leaders, that used to mean time with their manager or supervisor, that they get individual time with them. Right. But that's less and less true. In fact, we did some research uh, with uh, almost 200,000 people and found that the younger an employee is, the more likely they want time with their colleagues, mm -hmm. not with their manager. And so if a manager sees their team member that has quality time as their language from the inventory and they, you know, sort of assume they want time with them, right. uh, that's not going to work lots of times. And so it, you have to structure time for the, the team members maybe to go out to lunch or go out after work. Great. Um, definitely. I saw that in working with my team, you know, um, as the younger or new members of our team, typically they were younger. They definitely had a very collegial bond, whether that was a pickleball after work or just getting together. Um, and, you know, my boss, who was a little bit older, for sure, didn't always um, fit into that environment. He didn't have that same need that that group did, but it really right. did unify them and they worked well then together on teams. Um, yeah. Uh, and I would say just at a more global level that um, people, when they hear about appreciation, first of all, they confuse that with employee recognition and we differentiate that, that employee recognition is about performance and, and that's good, but we really believe that authentic appreciation is about the person and that, you know, employees have value beyond their performance. They're not just work units. And so we focus on that. And secondly, a lot of people, when they hear appreciation, they mainly think about words. 
And really the point is, or the core principle is that not everybody feels appreciated in the same way. Um, and our, our research has found that less than half of employees actually choose words as their primary language of appreciation. So if you only use words, you miss from the get-go over half of your employees as far as communicating in a way that's meaningful to them. And, you know, it seems people are willing to identify, you know, the five love languages in their personal life, but kind of identifying the same need to refine your skills and business is kind of a newer, I don't know, not necessarily a newer concept, but really dialing it down um, to make you more effective. Do you yeah. see kind of the traditional um, executive really jumping on board with that? You know, we just had an article published in uh, our, uh, in the New York Times that featured our work uh, in the business section of the New York Times. And it was actually with a mining company, which you would think, you know, these people, so they're mainly guys, you know, they're not real touchy-feely kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And and just showed how it really works. And, and I think the issue is this, is that I had a lot of people say, well, I don't need to be appreciated. I sort of, you know, encourage myself. And, and I, that's fine. We need to do that. But most people, when they think about appreciation, they think about words. And when you get down to it, sometimes it's more about when do you need to be encouraged, right? It's like you're working hard, you're you know doing all the right things and the results aren't just happening. And you sort of need somebody to come alongside and, and boost you a little bit. And, and I think lots of times uh, that seems to fit with some of the people that are naysayers. And, and you know, we say, you know, if, if you're not into this, that's fine. We don't try to force it. Um, it, trying to communicate appreciation when you don't mean it uh, doesn't go well. And we let people just sort of stand aside and watch. And we've gone across the country in multiple large corporations and organizations, just starting with a little pilot uh, group and, and going from there. Well, it's fast. it was fascinating to me. And no doubt, I think that there's a great place for this in the workplace. I mean, it can apply to everybody. And that's what I thought was so valuable about the book is that it wasn't just for the top level executive it was for the middle managers and the people brand new on the team everybody can everybody can have this applied to their situation no matter who you're influencing or working next to so um a great tool yeah and that was actually another key lesson that we learned along the way is that originally we were focusing on managers and supervisors and fairly quickly we learned that it really needs to be among colleagues and team members as well. It's too much weight and responsibility just for managers and supervisors to right. carry. And also people want to know how to encourage their, their colleagues and or be appreciated by them. And so we found that taking people through a training process to teach the whole team mm -hmm. how to communicate authentic appreciation and therefore have each person take uh, an inventory to identify the ways that are meaningful to them is really the best way to go. I could for sure, because you know, your boss comes back from that conference or that team building event and he's all excited, ready to go, but nobody else has really caught the vision. So doing the whole team, having everyone speaking the same language, having the same authenticity involved, I think is a great way to kind of roll those out. So that's awesome that you guys have have a have used that model for the entire the entire organization. So I bet it's more effective that way. Yeah, it seems Talk, to be. Talking about the book specifically, you know, it really talks about teamwork, conflict, uh, building trust. So kind of looking at that, what are some of the tools a leader can use? And I guess any type of leader 
um, to reduce the amount of conflict at work um, and kind of taking that proactive approach. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've learned, this is the fifth book that I've had the opportunity to write with Dr. Chapman, and I, I learned that you, we keep learning after we write the book. And here's a lesson <laughs> I've learned after the book. And that is, is that one of the things we have to work on is there's sort of a mindset, first of all, that conflict is bad. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's good research in the business leadership world that uh, healthy conflict really creates better results right. for an organization and team. So we don't want to just avoid it. But a lot of people don't like conflict, so they avoid it. But it's it's more about not not having conflict, but more about when you have disagreements, tension, friction. Do you have a process in place to deal with that? And it's sort of like, you know, trying to hope you never have a flat tire on your car, right? Versus I'm going to have a flat tire sometime. How am I going to deal with it? Am I going to have AAA or am I going to know how to do it or have a friend or whatever? And, And I think that's a key piece that I'm learning is that organizations need to take it seriously about, okay, when people disagree, when there's tension, and it's not always between you and somebody else, right? You may be a supervisor or a leader or even a colleague around two people who are, aren't getting along. What do you do or what don't you do? Mm-hmm. And I think helping people understand that process and just to be get to the heart of the matter, this ties into the research we did with toxic workplaces is that direct communication is really foundational. That indirect communication, either hinting at things or sort of you know, snarking at somebody or going around someone just leads really to a toxic workplace. And so um, I had a, a situation in my team. I've got just five team members, but uh, one of them was upset with me uh, about something I said or, or did. And uh, she talked to her supervisor, which was appropriate. And then he talked to me and then the three of us met together. Uh, for her to be able to communicate directly, if he would have just communicated to me, that right. wouldn't have been helpful, right? right. Then, then I either attack the messenger or ask him questions he can't answer. So, you know, having a process and we work through it and things are fine, you know, but I, I think that's as, as important as understanding what to do. And in the book, the, the Making Things Right at Work, we talk about what what does conflict really look like? Because there's all kinds of behaviors. I mean, there's grumbling and complaining. There's coming late to meetings. You know, there's passive aggressive stuff. There's yelling, all that. And then where does it come from? The sources. And a goal, I think, is not only to minimize it, but to sort of keep it from blowing up, right? I mean, if you have some, how can you deal with it at a small level so that it doesn't just mushroom and really make some big problems? Yes, I love how you talk specifically about that direct communication. I've seen examples, you know, like you said, where the third person, you know, the third person gets involved and then they address each person individually. And really that only adds a lot of angst and it almost builds the tension because that person wasn't in the room maybe or not involved directly. And so it just almost blows it up, um, keeps it going. But, and, and I think that speaks to when you're not a person directly involved in the, the issue, yeah. stay out, <laughs> shut up and stay away, you know, and, and what you can do is say, encourage them to talk to the other person or mm-hmm. to their supervisor and deal with it directly. But don't get in there as the peacekeeper 
or you know sort of the messenger that we used to use in yeah. grade school and junior high you know uh that just doesn't go anywhere good typically yeah um i can remember an example of two colleagues you know not having an issue and one was taking over in a leadership position i was asked to step involved and make this person respect the other person and I said, you know, I, I could do that, but that person will never respect the other person. It's best for the two of them to meet together. And you know what? They met together. They were able to talk out their differences. And it's really a thriving relationship now. But had I stepped in, it both of them would have felt, you know, disrespected and that they couldn't, you know, it just would have kept the problem perpetuated. Yeah, so. yeah, I would have mucked it up with tar and never. And it's over. so simple, right? But a lot of people are hesitant to have that direct convert or that direct conversation, especially maybe with a manager. Do you see that when it's a peer and there's some conflict with a superior? What do you see? What is the best approach for that person? Or are people obviously, I think people would be a little bit more tentative. Sure. Well, and I think rightfully so. I mean, there is a power dynamic in that kind of relationship. And I guess my first thought is make sure you understand your supervisor manager. I mean, there are toxic leaders that if you confront them, you know, it's not going to go well. Um, so and in our book about toxic workplaces, we describe what those are. But, you know, just some tips about confronting somebody, anybody, but especially supervisors is, first of all, make I statements, you know, versus you statements, you know, it's like, you know, uh, and some really helpful ones are, you know, I'm confused. On the one hand, we said we were going to do this, but we wound up doing, you know, this other thing. And that's maybe okay. I just confused about, can you help me understand that? And taking sort of that one down position uh, alleviates, uh, you know, initial defensiveness. Um, and, and the other part is to, be as specific as you can. Just don't say, you know, I feel like you don't treat me fairly or right. you, you know, disrespect me or whatever. But to be able to say, you know, when you did this, it really struck me wrong. And maybe I misinterpreted it. Uh, so, but I just want to let you know so we can talk about it. But you've got to give specific behaviors. Otherwise, it, it, it there's really nowhere to go with it. It's just you're feeling right. your response and you're in charge of that, not them. So they don't have anything they can do you know, uh, concretely. Right. No, I love that. And you address that. I remember reading that specifically in the book. You have to have some concrete examples because then they can really identify the problem, what went wrong there, or if it's a pattern. Um, and so I thought that was great feedback. Um, definitely when, when confronting anyone, take specifics, like don't be afraid to be specific because it really allows you to break down that conflict or that, that challenge. On the other hand, don't don't gather them up over time and right. hammer them with ten don't or fifteen at once. That tends to not go well. Uh, <laughs> on the other hand, so well, good. Um, one thing that you talked about um, was apology languages and how they relate to the work environment. When working yeah. with people in any situation, whatever group you're involved, you're bound to hurt someone's feelings or cause a conflict. But how do we rebound from that? You know, how do we own our own stuff and, you know, not let us trip us up? So could you speak to the apology languages? Yeah, you know, to be honest, that's the, the part that I think uh, we worked, had to work hard at because we, we write our uh, material from a not overtly Christian perspective. We're all followers of Christ. We all have a, a, hopefully a biblical worldview about people and life and work. But 
our, our work is used by government agencies and, mm-hmm. you know, secular workplaces. And so we don't sort of quote Bible verses and stuff like that. And apologizing in the secular work, <laughs> workplace doesn't happen real often, right? I mean, it, and I have a son who's uh, a leader of chaplains in the army, and he just said, you know, this is sort of a non-starter in the military. You just don't, you know, apologize. You don't admit, admit this is why you made a mistake. Um, it's just not part of the culture. And so that's why we use the term, you know, when you've messed up, when you've made a mistake, uh, what do you do? Um, and, you know, I think there's there there are five languages. Uh, Dr. Jennifer Thomas, who's one of the co-authors, um, wrote with Dr. Chapman about the five languages of apology. And so we incorporated those. But I think the first couple are, are important starting points. And if we can get those, you know, we're, we're uh, on a good uh, path. But one is just to sort of say, I'm sorry about the result. You know, I'm sorry that the meeting didn't go as well as you wanted. Or I'm sorry that, uh, you know, I didn't get that uh, email to you when you needed it. Okay. It's not admitting that you necessarily did anything wrong because sometimes people get upset when when we're not sure why. And we mm-hmm. talk about that in the book as well. But just starting with that I statement is real helpful. And if it applies, then you to accept responsibility. And you say, you know, I should have gotten that to you sooner mm-hmm. uh, or I shouldn't have CC'd that person on the email. That was a mistake on my part. And if you just, you know, sort of... Uh, indicate some remorse over the negative impact and then also accept responsibility, some responsibility. You don't have to accept full responsibility initially, but just some responsibility that really is going to help make it go well. Um, and in a third part that may follow is, you know, what can I do to, to make it up to you? Is there something I need to say to somebody or whatever? And then after that, there's some deeper issues that uh, I think are hard in the workplace. We got to work on those first two or three to really mm-hmm. get started. I liked the, you know, what can I do to make it up part? I mean, I think that shows a real sincerity there to, to make it right. Some people are, you know, words fall flat, you know, depending on what your love language is. So it's like, don't tell me, show me. Right. Um, and so I feel like, what can I do to, to rectify this or to, to, to make it right, you know, to set you up for success. So I really thought that was a really valuable part of the apology language. So mm-hmm. something I added to my, my toolbox uh, as cool. well. Good. What are, um, you know, as we kind of are wrapping things up, what do you see as the future of work in, in America in particular? Yeah, you know, sort of like we started out, I think things are going to continue to be in flux. They're going to be changing. I think that uh, we will have ongoing working from home or remote work for sure. And that was existed before the COVID. I mean, we, we did research on remote workers uh, probably four years ago now to find about how they like to be shown appreciation. So I think that's going to be there. We'll still have hybrid uh, workers. There's going to be tension in a fear I have that for some companies that continue or will continue almost all remote or mostly is if they don't pay attention to the personal relationship aspect of their teams, they're going to have a revolving door because one of the things we're finding is that people, and even during COVID, the people that 
did well in dealing with the stress of COVID and working from home versus those that really didn't mm -hmm. were those who stayed connected with colleagues, not necessarily their manager, but colleagues at a personal level, meaning they knew what was going on in their lives, just like we do, you know, when we come in and, you know, we'd say, ah, oh, my kid was sick last night or, you know, my son, you know, is in a soccer tournament this weekend, it's going to be busy. Otherwise, it just becomes very mechanical and we're just work units and that's the way we feel treated and then we don't feel valued and then there are all kinds of negative consequences that go downhill from that. So I think a key part for leaders and organizations is to take steps and, and part of our appreciation at work resources is to help lead teams how to get to know one another and communicate appreciation and encouragement in the ways that are meaningful so they can stay connected. Without that, I think a lot of things are going to go wrong for organizations. I mean, people in general need community, you know, no matter where you are. And, right. you know, I didn't have the opportunity to really work from home a lot during COVID. There was a brief period of time, but I almost felt more exhausted working from home because, like you said, the days that I was, it was a constant one zoom meeting one teams meeting one email and but you know trying to email but in between and trying to get work done when tied up on a screen all day long yeah. and really did kind of feel the grind of that and you know when you work on a team or in a team environment not having that you know quick conversation on the way to the bathroom or grabbing walking to the lunchroom or something like that you could see how that would wear people down and they would really lack that appreciation. So what a great, what a great thing to keep in mind if we see this continue to play, you know, work remote, play a bigger role in society moving forward. Yeah. We actually have a fun cartoon that we use in our training where this guy's on the phone, somebody's checking out. He says, no, I'm doing fine working from home ever since I uh, hired Mr. Big Head, who's a puppet on his head, as my assistant, and he, you know, he's just—he's got this puppet there. And, and one of the issues is when we're by ourselves a lot for a long time, we start to get weird. To be honest, I mean, um, and because relationships provide sort of reality feedback about how well things are going or not, and and we need that. For sure. One last question. You know, we have some people that are just starting in their career. You know, they may be coming and transitioning right out of school. They may be going back home. They study in the States and may be traveling back home internationally. What advice would you give them for their new role, no matter where they find themselves in and how it relates to people? What are like what would be one or two take home points that you could just say, hey, if you could get this right and working with people, to make things easier at work, what would be like one or two things that you could give them as a take home as we wrap up? Yeah, well, the first one is not new to me by any means, but it's to remember that leadership is not a position, it's it's a role that you play when you have influence. And, and we can all do that by listening, by caring, by uh, uh, helping communicate. So you can start on any of these wherever you are don't wait until you get some kind of position or title uh, we've had a lot of companies start with somebody who was a receptionist or an administrative assistant where found our book brought it in shared it with somebody another team member they started it and then it just went viral across the organization so you can influence wherever you are don't wait for the title or position and secondly i i would say remember that your colleagues, your suppliers, 
your customers, your managers, they're people. And people make mistakes. People aren't always clear. People have needs and need to be valued and appreciated. And I think remembering that and then a part that I think we're not good at in our culture in the U.S. is what I would call perspective taking, being able to see and understand the situations from other people's point of view. We are pretty egocentric about how we view things and view that our way is right. And I really encourage, especially as you're beginning, man, get to know people, get to know where they're from, different experiences they had so that you can understand life from different perspectives than your own. What a great way to wrap things up, especially with our culture, very polarizing. I feel like today you're either on one camp or another. And so if we could just stop and appreciate people and their backgrounds, um, what a what a great way just to slow it down and to see we're all human, no matter what where you are in the organization. People are people. People have bad days. They have families or friends, circumstances and hold no one to a different standard other than that. So what a great way to, to wrap that up. Thanks for that advice. And thanks for sharing, um, you know, just some from your latest book. But like I said, I hope that we have you back on to tackle some of these other ones, especially, you know, um, the toxic workplace that that sounds that sounds like a very good one that would easily build off of this for sure. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the time. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay.